This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse along with you this weekend as we join you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. We continue with our hot stove shows and a lot on the hot stove this week in terms of the major awards that Major League Baseball hands out. Rookie of the Year, Cy Young Award winner, Manager of the Year, and Most Valuable Player Award, as well as some other awards as well. We'll recap all of those for you. And topping our guest list this week, Indians manager Terry Francona. Another American League Manager of the Year award for him, his second since joining the Indians to start the 2013 season. And as always, for Tito, he talks about how the players are really the ones who deserve this award. This year's team overcoming obstacles every step of the way. How did they do it? So often when things would happen, before the game would be over, somebody like Tomlin, for instance, he'd be in my ear. He'd be like, hey, I'm going out to the bullpen. And I'd be like, no, you're not. You just pissed. But, I mean, it's that attitude that, you know, like if the players aren't feeling sorry for themselves, they're trying to figure out, okay, what do we do next? How can we help? Well, that's kind of the same outlook I, I would like to think me and the coaches in the front office use. So when the players are doing stuff like that, my goodness, I mean, it makes it, makes it, makes it kind of fun. I mean, it's like all of a sudden you're like, okay, we'll figure this out. We'll figure it out together. And I think that's kind of the mentality we took all year. Also on tap this week, the debut of our Game of the Week, something we'll do throughout the offseason, looking back at what was just a tremendously exciting 2016 season. A hint on this week's game? You say Naquin flying around the bases on a drive off the top of the wall in right. It ricocheted back toward the infield. And Coach Mike Sarbaugh never slowed him down. And the Indians have one of the most improbable endings in this ballpark. Not too hard to figure out that one. And Tyler Naquin certainly in the news this week as he was up for American League Rookie of the Year honors. He did not win the award but finished third, and we'll have a complete update on all those awards as well as all the hot stove news. We'll also hear from Indians Vice President Bob DiBiasio with another Tribe Tale as we get rolling with Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland, and it was awards week in Major League Baseball this week as baseball handed out its major awards, and three different members of the Indians organization were up for major awards this week, including Tyler Naquin, the first of which was the American League Rookie of the Year. And for Naquin, well, you talk about a great story. Here's someone who 
were it not for the injury to Michael Brantley, probably would not have made the ball club coming out of spring training. And even when he did, there were still two trips to AAA Columbus before he fully established himself at the major league level in mid-May. And by the time it was all said and done, Tyler Naquin hit 296 this year with 14 home runs, and he drove in 43 runs, finished third among American League rookies in runs scored with 52. Also, his on-base percentage and slugging percentage this season placed him third in the American League among rookies. So a fine season for Tyler Naquin, finished third in the American League Rookie of the Year voting as uh, that award went to Detroit Tigers pitcher Michael Fulmer, who had an outstanding season, and Yankees catcher Gary Sanchez, who wasn't called up until after the All-Star break. Wow, did he make an impression as he finished second in the American League Rookie of the Award voting. As you heard in segment one of our show today, Terry Francona named American League Manager of the Year as he bested a strong field by gaining 22 of the 30 first-place votes. Terry Francona with an outstanding season, leading the Indians to 94 wins. Jeff Bannister of the Rangers, Buck Showalter of the Orioles, John Farrell of the Red Sox, two through four in the balloting for American League Manager of the Year. Then it was the Cy Young Award, and Corey Kluber up for it again. Turned out to be a very close vote among Rick Porcello, who won the award from the Boston Red Sox, and Justin Verlander of the Detroit Tigers, who actually had more first-place votes than Verlander did. Fourteen first-place votes for Verlander, but uh, he bested or finished second to Rick Porcello in the voting in uh, what turned out to be a much-talked-about vote. Porcello of the Red Sox taking down the American League Cy Young, but Kluber with an outstanding year as he would finish third place in the Cy Young voting after an 18-win season for Corey Kluber, 18-9, an ERA of 3.14, more than 200 innings again, more than 200 strikeouts again, third straight season in both of those categories for a young man who has become extremely durable and reliable for the Indians. Just a great year for Kluber as he finishes third in the Cy Young voting. And then in the American League for most valuable player, none of the Indians were under consideration for that, although Francisco Lindor and Jose Ramirez took down some votes for American League most valuable player in a war that went to the Angels' Mike Trout. And then to wrap things up, late in the week, the Esurance Awards, those are some uh, awards put out by Major League Baseball, and some of those Major League Baseball Esurance Award winners from the Indians, Francisco Lindor, best defensive player in baseball, according to the voting, Tyler Naquin, best play offensively, and uh, that is something that we will hear about shortly coming up on our Game of the Week. Terry Francona, best manager. Andrew Miller, best major leaguer in the postseason. And Rajay Davis, the best postseason moment for his game-tying home run in the eighth inning of Game 7 of this year's World Series. So some great awards for the Indians. You kind of expect it with the season that they had this year, and uh, they did take down quite a few of the awards, or at least were in contention for a lot of those awards as well. Indians with some roster moves this week as well. They have added Francisco Mejia to the 40-man roster. They selected his contract. He had been 
at single A Lynchburg. And what a year it was for Mejia. He hit a combined 342 this year with 11 home runs and 80 runs driven in. That was splitting time between single-A Lake County and then the higher single-A level for the Indians in Lynchburg. And, of course, he gained major notoriety by hitting in 50 consecutive games, a 50-game hit streak for Francisco Mejia, a strong-armed catcher who has been rated as one of the top prospects now in all of minor league baseball and the Indians' top prospect in their organization. So a great year for him, and he's been added to the 40-man roster. That means he'll be in major league spring training for the first time this coming spring. Also, in terms of roster moves for the Tribe, they made some claims to add some pitching depth and claimed off of the Arizona Diamondbacks roster and added to the 40-man roster for the Indians, left-handed pitcher Edwin Escobar. Again, he had been with the Diamondbacks. He's also, Escobar has also pitched in the Texas Rangers, San Francisco Giants, and Boston Red Sox organizations. He's 24 years of age, and again, he'll add some left-handed pitching depth for the Indians. So, too, will left-handed pitcher Tim Cooney, who had been with the St. Louis Cardinals. Now, he had not pitched since July due to right shoulder surgery, so the Indians hoping that he can come back strong. He's been in the Cardinals system since 2012, and his minor league numbers are as follows, a record of 33-26 and 26 with an ERA of 3.35, mainly as a starting pitcher. He's out of Wake Forest, a third-round pick of the Cardinals back in 2012. So some more left-handed pitching depth with the acquisition of Tim Cooney. And to make room for Mejia Escobar Cooney, the Indians outrighted catcher Chris Jimenez from the 40-man roster, still in the organization, but off of the 40-man. And we'll see if he stays with the organization as uh, some catching depth there. I know the Indians would love to make that happen and keep him in the organization. So that's a look at some of the news and notes. Also, the Indians re-signed catcher Guillermo Quiroz, who had been with AAA Columbus a year ago. They signed him to a minor league contract with an invite to Major League Spring Training. So some things going on on the transaction front, and we'll see more of that. And again, when you look at some of those moves, the acquisitions of some nondescript right now left-handed pitchers and whether they end up in the bullpen or the starting rotation, I think the Indians have gained a reputation for finding some pitchers who maybe are not household names that became extremely useful over the course of a long season. And specifically this past year, Dan Otero was someone who came to spring training, not known much by Tribe fans for sure, but ended up being a key part of the bullpen. And in past years, Scott Atchison certainly would fill that bill. So we'll see if maybe Escobar or Cooney would be that type of pitcher for the Indians in 2017. Stay with us. When we come back, we debut a new segment on Tribe Talk, our Game of the Week, a look back at a game played on August the 19th, Indians and Blue Jays. You probably have a pretty good idea on what happens at the end. We'll get to it when we come back after this on the Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you at Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. Don't forget our Twitter address is at Indians Radio. We'll be able to fill you in on guests on this show, any programming reminders. And once we get into spring training, 
fill you in on game broadcast information and much, much more. That's our Twitter address, at Indians Radio. Well, a new feature on Tribe Talk during this offseason will be a game of the week, a look back at some of the exciting games from the 2016 campaign. And normally you save the best for last, but we're going to get right to it this week with one of the games of the year, certainly one of the most exciting finishes, if not the most exciting finish in all of baseball this season. It came at Progressive Field back on August the 19th, Indians and Blue Jays. Most likely you know exactly what happened at the end, but if not, stay tuned. We will get to that soon enough. And just to set the scene for this week's Game of the Week, it's the Indians and the Blue Jays this past August the 19th, the opener of a three-game weekend series. The Indians were in the midst of a homestand. They were 6-2 and two on that homestand following a 5-4 to four victory over the White Sox the prior Thursday night. And the Indians were 69-50 and 50 at that point and held a six-game lead in the American League Central Division. Meanwhile, the Blue Jays were playing some good baseball as well as they were making a push toward the top of the American League East Division, a tight battle with the Red Sox involved, also Baltimore, and certainly the way things were shaping up even as early as mid-August, it appeared as if the American League East would not only feature a division champion in postseason, but also at least one of the wildcard teams. And as it turned out, in a potential playoff preview, that's exactly what happened as the Indians and the Blue Jays would meet again in October in the American League Championship Series. Now, on to the action for that night's game as the Indians would send Trevor Bauer to the hill against Francisco Liriano for the Blue Jays. And in the top half of the first inning, the Blue Jays got on the board quickly against Bauer as their fine catcher, Russell Martin, hit a two-run home run to give the Blue Jays a 2-0 lead. However, Bauer would settle in nicely. Strikeouts would become his friend. More on that in a little bit. Still 2-0 Blue Jays heading to the bottom half of the sixth inning. Mike Napoli at the plate with a man in scoring position. And Napoli, as he did so often in 2016, got the job done. Now the 2-2 pitch. Swung in, ripped to left, base hit. That'll score Kipnis. Napoli comes through again. Oh, what an at-bat for Mike Napoli. What else is new? A ringing RBI single to left to make it a two-to-one ball game. Blue Jays lead, cut in half. And the daring base running of Jason Kipnis helps manufacture a run. Meanwhile, Bauer was sailing along after the tough start, allowing that home run to Martin in the first inning. That's all he would give up as he was strong through the eighth. The pitch swing and a miss. A new career-high 12 strikeouts for Bauer including the last five straight Blue Jays. Bauer seems to be getting better as the game goes on, and he's been terrific all night. Now the 0-2 pitch. A swing and a miss. Got him to chase. A pitch down and away. What a night by Bauer. A career-high 13 strikeouts. A brilliant effort by Trevor Bauer tonight. Middle of the eighth. It's still 2-1, to one, Toronto leading the Indians. 13 strikeouts, the career high for Trevor Bauer. However, he left the game trailing by that 2-1 to one score. They remain that way, heading to the bottom half of the ninth inning. 
Marcel Ozuna, the fine closer for the Toronto Blue Jays, was on to try and finish things up. One out, nobody on. Jose Ramirez at the plate for the Tribe. Ozuna's not wasting any time. The pitch swung on, hit high and deep to right. Saunders, track, wall, leaps, and scores! about that? What more can Jose Ramirez do? We are tied at two. Blown save number three for Roberto Osuna. Now, normally, that's dramatics enough. A big home run might send the game to extra innings. You certainly don't expect what happened next when Tyler Naquin stood in. Osuna comes set. He fires. A swing and a drive to deep right. Saunders at the wall. It hits off the top of the wall. Naquin's around second. He's on his way to third. He'll try to score. Here's the throw. Out in time. Flying around the bases on a drive off the top of the wall in right. It ricocheted back toward the infield. And Coach Mike Sarbaugh never slowed him down. And the Indians have one of the most improbable endings in this ballpark. An incredible, dramatic ending and arguably one of the most thrilling endings of any game in Major League Baseball in 2016. The next day, we had a chance to catch up with Tyler Naquin, and we asked the Indians' center fielder if he was able to sleep after all the excitement at the end of the prior night's game. Absolutely, you know, man, it was very, very exciting, obviously, but uh, it's, a, it's a full team win, you know. I don't get that opportunity if Jose doesn't, you know, do what he did, um, and TB gave us a chance to win. Just like you know, just like all of our pitchers do, and the bullpen came in and just shoved again. Reactions as you're going around the bases and you see things start to develop. When did you think you had a real shot to score? When I hit third base, uh, actually, actually about three quarters of the way to third base, um, I figured something had gone on in the outfield. You know, I, I saw it carry him away out into the big part of the outfield. Just keep on running, just see if Sarby kept waving me on, and sure did. And baseball players conditioned to. A double, maybe a triple, but how hard was that last 90 feet to stay up and, and get moving forward? Yeah, absolutely. I had to kick on another gear there at the end, but uh, you know, once I knew that I was going to be safe, it was a it was a refreshing feeling for sure. Exciting. You had mentioned earlier this could be a funny game sometimes. You've had an inside the park home run, not a game ender in Double A. You were out at the plate and won earlier this season at Triple A. Who was that against? Uh, Buffalo, the Blue Jays, Triple A. And you make good contact, obviously, and it's the second straight night you've been able to do that in a key spot. Any player over the course of the season, rookie or experienced veteran, is going to go through some ups and downs, and you finally did uh, about a week to ten days ago. What's gotten you back on track? What was the key? Uh, just staying, you know, staying with my routine. You know, I was feeling pretty good for a while, and just uh, you know, started to get a little bit big and um, trying to do a little too much. And just got to calm it back down and just stay within myself, the plate, and stay on my legs. 
And it, I know you've talked in the past about how the others in this room have helped you. And when you finally did go through a stretch where maybe statistically you're not putting up numbers, did anyone here help you to, to get back to where you'd like to be? Uh, I mean, not necessarily. I think it's just, you know, as a hitter, I feel like you know yourself the best. And, uh, you know, the guys that we have, uh, Van Berkelio and, you know, and Q, um, I mean, they do a tremendous job in there just tweaking us and making sure we're right. You you played at this game at a high level at, at various levels, be it high school, college, and, and now pro ball and major leagues. Uh, as fun a time this last couple of weeks here and, and really the season for you as it's developed as you've ever had in this game? Absolutely. I mean, just to be able to play at the highest level possible, um, you know, the dream itself, um, and just staying consistent, being able to put myself in the best spot, you know, to succeed to help a team win, and that's, you know, that's bottom line, you know. You'll have four strikeouts, you know, as long as we win. If we win, everybody's happy, and that, that's what counts. Well, Tyler, you're a big part of it last night. It was unbelievable. Fans here will never forget it. Thanks for coming by. Thank you. A most interested observer of all the activities from the night before was, of course, Indians manager Terry Francona. And in his daily visit with Tom Hamilton, they talked about the exciting night at Progressive Field. I know how tough it is to sleep after tough losses. Did you get any sleep after that kind of a walk-off or run-off win? You know, Hammy, as fun as it is, and it was, and it's exciting, you kind of put it past you pretty quick because if you if you do it with a loss, you got to do it with a win. But that was an exciting night. I mean, there's no getting around it. You know, we're, we're down to last couple outs, and Hosey has two strikes, and he hits a ball in the stands, and so you're like, man, we get to keep playing. And then before you know it, Naquin hits a ball, and I think we all thought it was gone, and I rarely – like I kind of got up off my, you know, and was sort of on the field a little bit because I was embarrassed when that ball hit the wall. I was like, "Oh man, get your get your rear end back in the dugout." So I missed most of him running around the field. And then when he's around the thirties, all our guys running on the field. I mean, you know, you got to let yourself enjoy it a little bit because there's some tough tough times you have to deal with. But then you move on. So some side notes on the dramatics for the Indians. Tyler Naquin the night before. He had hit the walk-off inside the park home run, collected his first walk-off RBI on a sacrifice fly against the Chicago White Sox. It was the Indians' sixth walk-off win of the season. Naquin's inside the parker made it seven walk-offs, and all of those came from June 1st on. The Indians became the first team in Major League Baseball history to have a game-tying home run and a walk-off inside the park home run in the same inning. It also marked the first time for two Indians hitters to end a game with home runs. Since April of 2000, the Indians played Texas when Manny Ramirez and Jim Tomey took John Wetland deep, one of the premier closers at the time, and that made it a 2-1 to Tribe win. In terms of Tyler Naquin, and his heroics, the walk-off inside the park home run, just the second time it happened in Indians history. And again, for the Indians, that goes back to 1901. The only other time it happened, August of 1916, when Brago Roth hit a walk-off inside the park home run against the St. Louis Browns at then League Park off of a pitcher by the name of Earl Hamilton. The last time it happened in the major leagues, really not that long ago when you think about it. It seems like a rarity, but the Giants' Angel Pagan in May of 2013 did it against the Colorado Rockies. 
Paired with his first career walk-off appearance the night before that sacrifice fly that ended the game against the White Sox, Naquin became the first Indians player to have walk-off run driven in in consecutive games since Albert Bell did it back in August of 1995 against the Blue Jays. Bell ended the first game with a solo home run in the bottom of the 14th and then did it again the very next day with a two-run home run in the bottom half of the 10th. So it's always fun when historic things happen to look back and see if they had happened before or when the last time it may have been done. And there it is, some historical perspective on the walk-off inside the park home run for Tyler Naquin putting a lid on Friday night, August the 19th at Progressive Field, 30,000-plus on hand, and probably quite a few more said they were on hand as it was a remarkable finish and one of the most exciting games and finishes that you will ever see. And that is the first installment of our Games of the Week as we look back at the 2016 season. And again, we'll try and do this each week for you during our hot stove editions of Tribe Talk. Stay tuned. We'll have more of this week's edition of Tribe Talk after this timeout as we continue on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. It was Major Awards Week this week in Major League Baseball, and for the Indians, two of their players and their manager were up for major awards. Tyler Naquin in contention for American League Rookie of the Year honors. He ended up finishing third. Corey Kluber was up for potentially his second Cy Young Award, and he also finished in third place in the balloting for that. Taking away the hardware, though, for the second time since he became Indians manager prior to the 2013 season, Indians manager Terry Francona. And for Francona, his second American League Manager of the Year award, even with the two World Series victories when he was manager of the Boston Red Sox, never was named Manager of the Year in the American League during his seasons in Boston. But now, since joining the Indians... The American League Manager of the Year Award back in 2013. And then again this season after he guided the Indians to the American League Central Division title with a 94-67 and 67 record. And that's where the voting ends. The voting does not take into account what happens in the postseason. If it did, he may have been the unanimous choice for American League Manager of the Year as the Indians were just tremendous in sweeping the Red Sox in the American League Division Series, then defeating the Blue Jays four games to one to win the American League pennant and taking the Cubs to seven games in the World Series before finally succumbing to Chicago in a seven-game classic. We had a chance to visit with Tito earlier this week. He is recovering from hip replacement surgery, so uh, his time certainly very valuable to him, but uh, we certainly appreciated his time with us. And as always, with Terry Francona, very humble in recognizing others, even if it's an individual award that comes his way. You know what, Rosie? I, I just it's, I get so conflicted. I mean, it's an honor to, anytime somebody recognizes, you know, something you're doing. But then, my goodness, I mean, you know, you start thinking about what goes into it, and what it is is a bunch of really unbelievable players and coaches that just work, you know, more hours than they're supposed to. 
and, and a front office that is, you know, again, they do the same thing and ownership. And so as a manager, you get to maybe take a bow or receive an award that I really just feel uncomfortable because there is so much that goes into it and so many other people that, that I just, I almost feel like, you know, you don't want to disrespect anybody because we're, we do things as a group. And I just think it's such a big compliment to the Indians that when, when these kind of things happen, it's not me, believe me, it's our organization. And I just want to make sure people understand that. And maybe along those lines, uh, certainly one of the areas that was talked about so much was the Indians' ability to overcome some obstacles this year, be it injuries or otherwise. And I know for a lot of teams, significant injuries can spell the end of, of a potential playoff run. What what did you see that was different about this team that allowed them to overcome some of the obstacles? Well, you know what, Rosie? It's sometimes. I mean, you know, we, we don't we we don't have the market cornered on special players. I mean, I think we saw that with the with the Cubs, but I think we have more than our share of them. I'll tell you that. I mean, so often when things would happen before the game would be over, somebody like Tomlin, for instance, he'd be in my ear. He'd be like, hey, I'm going out to the bullpen. And I'd be like, no, you're not. You just pissed. But, I mean, it's that attitude that, you know, like if the players aren't feeling sorry for themselves, they're trying to figure out, okay, what do we do next? How can we help? Well, that's kind of the same outlook I, I would like to think me and the coaches in the front office use. So when the players are doing stuff like that, my goodness, I mean, it makes it makes – it, makes it kind of fun. I mean, it's like all of a sudden you're like, okay, we'll figure this out. We'll figure it out together. And I think that's kind of the mentality we took all year. Indians manager Terry Francona joining us, American League Manager of the Year, voted on, and uh, that award handed out on Tuesday night. And, uh, Terry, you look back at the World Series, Game 7, and one of the themes throughout the playoffs really was was how relaxed the players seemed throughout the World Series. How about you prior to Game 7 – uh, what's going on in your stomach as you get ready for that one? Um, you know, once we got into the games, you know, like I was okay. The first game against Boston and the first World Series game, I had some a little extra anxiety, as I think is expected. And we told the players, you know, that's okay. You know, as long as it doesn't get in the way of what you're doing, it's okay to acknowledge that. Um, but I think you got to remind yourself, hey, this is this is baseball. This is how we do it. And you recognize that, okay, maybe because of the situation, you may need to do a few things differently, but you also don't do it out of panicking or not being prepared or because of the the gravity of the game, because I think you can make some mistakes. And I think one of the biggest things is trying to be true to yourself, be prepared, and not make decisions based out of emotion. And you mentioned that, and maybe one of the most emotional moments of the postseason, the Rajay Davis home run late in Game 7. You talked to players about it, and it was just that unbridled joy and surprise all wrapped into one. From your perspective, though, are you able to feel that way, or are you constantly thinking ahead, okay, this is what this means now that, that the game was tied at that point? Well, uh, believe me, I was I was thrilled. I mean, but – you know, Millsy and I on the on the offensive side, and then Mickey and I on the pitching side. We're always trying to, you know, play the what if game. You know, if this happens, and Mickey always comes up to me before the inning, and we know that whatever the score is, you know, going out the next inning, who's going to pitch? So 
when something happens like that, there's not a bunch of conferences and meetings. Mickey runs to the phone, makes sure we're set, and Millsy does it the other way with the position players. Um, but, I mean, I'd be lying if I said I didn't enjoy it. But we just make sure we're, we're prepared ahead of time for whatever happens. Well, a lot of thrills from this season from the fan standpoint, no question, and I'm sure from yours as well. Terry, congratulations on winning uh, American League Manager of the Year once again. Thanks so much for coming by. Thanks, Rosie. I appreciate it and enjoyed it. Take care. That's Cleveland Indians manager and the American League Manager of the Year, Terry Francona, second time that he has won that award, also winning it back in 2013, and only the third time that an Indians manager has won the American League Manager of the Year award. Eric Wedge did it back in 2007, a team that went to a seventh game in the American League Championship Series against the Red Sox. And those are the only Manager of the Year award recipients, an award that began back in 1983. And another impressive statistic for Terry Francona during his time in Cleveland. This year marked the fourth consecutive winning season, and the Indians now have more regular season wins during his time in Cleveland, those four seasons, than any other team in the American League. So impressive work once again by Terry Francona in leading his ball club to the American League Central Division crown and all the way to the World Series as well. Stay with us. We'll have more to come after this timeout on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. Our final segment of this week's show, and we will finish things up with a tribe tale from Indians Vice President Bob DiBiasio. Bell is ready. Here's the one-two pitch. Strike three called over the inside corner. Greg Swindell has pitched a one-to-nothing shutout. It's time for another Tribe Tale with Indians Vice President Bob DiBiasio. Joining me today on Tribe Tales is former number one Indians draft pick left-hander Forrest Gregory Swindell. Greg, it's great catching up with you, sir. It's good to hear from you too, Bobby D. What's happening? Not much. So as we begin our baseball chat uh, today, before we get to the big league career, why don't we talk Texas baseball? Uh, was it a foregone conclusion that as a Texas high school star, you were going to be a Texas Longhorn? You know, it was funny growing up. Uh, yeah, my, my best friend growing up, his brother played at, at Texas about 10 years before we did. I uh, say we because he was my best friend and, and was a pretty good ball player. And they came to watch him one day and really kind of, recognized me on the mound. I wasn't throwing very hard, but they recognized me, offered me a scholarship, and um, you know, growing up, my, my dreams were to go to Arkansas. Ask me why, I have no idea. <laughs> if it was the That's just not right. <laughs> it, was, it was really a, a weird thing, but uh, they never offered me a scholarship. Looking back, thank God, because the University of Texas uh, kind of put me on the map as a ball player. I wasn't, wasn't that good out of high school, but good enough to go there. And then... Um, you know, the, just to play in the places we did and the competition against the, the Arizona States and, and Oklahoma States and teams like that um, kind of gave me uh, a jump start to, to my next career. Well, you were named an All-American uh, all three seasons by Baseball America uh, during your tenure at Texas. In fact, you were the first collegiate player to achieve that honor. 
How much fun was your college career? Oh, it was a blast. I mean, you look back, and more than the career, the the relationships that we made, there was outstanding as far as that goes. The teams I played on were were unbelievable. We set a lot of records. Uh, My best year in college was my sophomore year, and we set so many offensive records uh, for runs scored and, and, you know, just everything offensively. So without a little help from teammates and and being on the great teams during that time, um, you know, I wouldn't have been where I was. Well, during that time, you had the opportunity to pitch on a Team USA uh, in the Los Angeles Olympics in 1984. Uh, You were the youngest player on that team. Talk about that. Uh, Yeah, being the youngest, I didn't see much playing time, but I was on on there with uh, Mark McGuire, I mean, at the time, you, you hear these names. I mean, so many guys that went on and played made the big leagues for, for a long time. And to, to be with them, I was 18 years old, and they're, 20, they're old guys at 20 and 21 years old. So um, I, was, I really looked up to them. So it was a, really a great experience, again, um, traveling the country, um, just 18 years old, one, one year out of high school, and, and being with these guys and, and having to, to mature as, as a young person and, and have a lot of fun. I took a lot of ribbon, but um, it was a lot of fun, and it was a great learning experience. That concludes Part 1 of our two-part Tribe Tales interview with Greg Swindell. Join us next week when we talk about Greg's time with the Tribe on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network. That's Bobby D. with another Tribe Tale, and that's going to put a cap on this week's edition of Tribe Talk. Great to have you with us, as always, as we talk baseball on the radio with you 52 weeks a year. Whether it's in-season, off-season, spring training, we have you covered once a week here on Tribe Talk. So join us next week. Hope you have a great Thanksgiving, and we'll talk to you during the Thanksgiving weekend next weekend. Until then, this is Jim Rosenhouse reminding you that you've been listening to Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network. Be a believer with the Cleveland Indians. Indian fever. It starts from the very first inning. Indian fever.